This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Hello and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Today, we're joined by Kristen Adams, Department Administrator, Anesthesiology at Wheel Cornell Medicine. Kristen's here to talk about Cornell's move to variable pay. Kristen, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. It's great to be here. Now, tell us a little bit about your background and career in healthcare. Well, I started in healthcare, well, sometimes I don't like to say how exactly how long it's been, but the early 1990s, back when Medicare had differentiated payment rates for each physician. So that kind of tells you I've been around. It's about 30 years. And I started in billing and revenue management in the surgical specialty of urology. And I worked there for seven or eight years and then took a role in anesthesiology. And so I've been here at Weill Cornell my whole career. And it has been a new job about every six months, I think, between aggressive changes in healthcare over that time period and new systems. It stays exciting and um, just uh, really tests your knowledge on an ongoing basis. So it, it's been, it, it keeps it very interesting. Right. Now, one of the many roles you've had is working on physician compensation plans. And in an earlier conversation you and I had, you were telling me that one of the biggest challenges that practices face is developing those compensation plans that can help, I guess the way you put it was reflect the overall strategic vision. Why is that? Well, certainly here at Weill Cornell as an academic medical center, it's very difficult to manage your strategic vision with respect to compensation because you have so many competing priorities. You're trying to incentivize and reward great clinical behavior, the throughput and efficiencies that you need to generate your bottom line revenue, which drives everything else. But at the same time, you're needing to reward and encourage academic time and development for grants and notoriety of the institution. You're looking for research development, clinical trials expansion, and excellence in teaching. We run a residency program and several fellowships. So to try to come up with some compensation plan that your faculty or physicians can view as being consistent and fair and simple is very difficult. And although I've never worked on the private practice side, I would see that for private practices, the difficult in aligning it with the strategy comes from the dynamic healthcare environment between competition, regulatory changes. It's just, um, and commercial competition with larger practices and academic institutions buying, uh, scooping, like buying out practices, I just think that it can be hard to stay on top of how your 
reacting to all of those changes. So I think both academic and private practice have difficulty aligning their compensation because it's just uh, moving parts all the time. Right, and the way you've described it is physician compensation planning is, it's, it's a complex situation and it's a complex situation that you somehow made even more complex by choosing to go from a fixed to a variable pay model. Um, how did you go, how did you decide to go in that direction? Uh, what type of research was involved to help you reach that conclusion? Yeah, it's the, the need for us to change came from several directions. As an academic medical center, we had our chairman re uh, retire. He was looking to retire, so we had a couple years lead time and our dean asked him to stay on in his role. Um, but so the department knew for a couple of years we would have a transition. So when we received uh, notice of our new chairman starting, obviously as a new leader, he wanted to take a look at what was developed under the previous chair. He had a new strategic vision, wanted to put emphasis on different things. So we knew compensation was gonna be following. But obviously a new chairman just doesn't come in and yank the rug out from underneath something as sensitive as a compensation plan. But the other driving force is we're an anesthesiology department and the opening of ambulatory care centers and the shift to have so much of our volume moving towards ambulatory care means that we need to staff a lot more operating rooms during the day, but we're not necessarily increasing the need to have on-call physicians available at night. So in anesthesia world, our previous compensation plan on a small faculty of about 40 had everybody sort of paid each year as relatively fixed. There were some variable components, but it was mostly a fixed compensation and everybody was part of the team. Everybody took an even distribution of call. Um, so the work was very similar. So knowing we needed to emphasize different things under a new chairman's vision and knowing that the base of faculty who were going to be needing to work Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. was gonna grow, we needed to realize that we had to break apart call pay from traditional OR coverage because that needed to be separated and we wanted to um, pointedly encourage new activities around academic productivity and research. So we then took it upon ourselves to look at what was changing. How much were we valuing? So we, I was here, uh, so I thought that was an unusual circumstance as I was the department administrator under the old system. So I had some insight as to how it was built, but it was not as a mathematical or formula driven as we wanted to be. So we took apart our old compensation plan and started to look at and do some analysis as to how we were rewarding people in areas that weren't as formulaic. And we looked at compensation data from uh, various market sources. Um, MGMA has great resources, AAMC, and then there's some um, private uh, practice groups. Because although we're academic, we're competing for the talent out there. So it is important for us to understand what's going on in private practice. So we looked at the market data on compensation. We looked at 
competing centers here in the New York City area uh, to look at how high, how much we had to lift our compensation. And we were kind of looking at a three-year horizon. And then we just decided to map it out and um, get started. It was a heavy lift. Yeah. So when you put together a strategic plan like this, did you form a, a committee, a task force? How did you develop the plans here and who comprised that group? Well, that's a great question because I think that anyone looking to change something as sensitive as compensation needs to make sure that it does align with not only everything that you're looking to achieve, but you also want to make sure you're not disrupting the current plans reward system for all the positive things that are going on. The compensation of the group that um, designed the plan was already intact. The department had what we call the vice chairs. So the new chair stepped in and he kept some of the vice chairs on the team, but as, a, as I mentioned, we didn't start a new compensation plan right away. So it gave him a chance to align a few more faculty into that vice chair circle. And, but that committee was very small. We are not a partnership. The chairman does ultimately get to decide what the compensation plan will be. So the numbers of people working on it, we have 110 faculty, we probably had five total working on the plan, including me. So four faculty and the department administrator, and that was the chairman and the vice chairs. And as we developed concepts, we were careful to reach out to a slightly larger concentric circle of people, maybe four or five, but we would only be asking them for input on a very narrow slice because we wanted to keep concern and knowledge of some of the ideas we had to be very small because we don't want people to get panicky and trying to just con control the messaging and discussion about the discussion about what we might be doing with one concept in the plan or another. We you definitely want to keep that very tight and um and not get, let that sort of discussion get out of hand. You had mentioned that you had a three-year horizon. Was that your time frame from start to finish? What what was that? Well, when the chairman became chair, which was 2013, the heat was on, the pressure was on to come up with a better compensation plan. We knew we were going to be taking over a new hospital in 2015, which was two years away, and the hospital was looking to build an ambulatory care center. So the changing landscape of how we would be performing services let us know that there was a deadline. So the chairman knew he didn't want to start it right away in 2013, but we knew we had to get something going and have it in line before these new buildings came online in 2017. So that, it wasn't necessarily our thoughtful brilliance to come up with a three-year plan, but that set the stage and what I feel is was one of those lessons learned, why the session's called lessons learned, is that by having a three-year plan structure set out before us, we then made sure to be very conservative in overall increases as we were developing the plan, such that compensation for faculty was 
up only very slightly for the first two years, which gave us a cushion so that as we rolled out the new formulas that would change the way people were paid, the amount of money ready to pay them was lifted so that there essentially we created no losers. And so I think the fact that we had so many changes on the horizon is why we made a three-year plan. But on hindsight, I would definitely recommend that if anyone's out there thinking to update their compensation plan, that they use a three-year time frame because that worked out really well. Sure. Um, let's just take a step back then. What, what was the scope of what you were doing? Um, I know that you are going to be presenting at uh, MGMA's annual conference, and you had talked to me that you have a 110-member academic department. Um, is that how many physicians you had that you had to consider or what, what was the scope of that? So at the present time, we do have 110 clinical faculty and that is the number of faculty out there performing anesthetics every day. In addition to that, we have another 110 certified registered nurse anesthetists they are not our employees, but they are provided by the hospital and work as part of the care team. As an academic medical center, we also have 78 residents in a four-year program that are in the ORs working alongside our physicians as part of the care team. We have 23 anesthesia technicians. And in addition to the main campus ORs, we have an offsite hospital in lower Manhattan. We have an ambulatory care center that just opened across the street. So for the operating room enterprise, we're covering about 95 anesthetizing locations with that entire group every single day. We also provide some cardiac services and some psychiatric services to outlying hospitals, but we don't own the entire anesthesia services in those areas. So it's quite a big footprint now. And just for comparison, when the old compensation plan was created under the previous chair, we had about 40, 45 anesthesiologists and 13 CRNAs. We still had the residency program at about 78, but the numbers of places we were providing services was about 50. So we went from 50 anesthetizing locations to 95 and a faculty of about 40 to 110. The department, separate from that, does have basic science clinicians. Um, we run basic science labs, but, but our compensation plan changes were not, um, those faculty are on a different track altogether since they don't have MD and they don't provide clinical care. Mm -hmm. Now, as you were building this out over a three-year period, did you have to do some things to manage expectations as the changes were being implemented? Do you have to make any shifts or moves along the way? Uh, yes. Absolutely. One of the first steps that we did was to ensure that the numbers of people working on the plan were very small. So as I mentioned, chairman, vice chair level, myself as the department administrator, I didn't use my analytics team just to get data. We really kept the versions and analytics as we embarked on what we were going to try to be doing with this really small. We let faculty know that we were considering 
changes. So when people inquired about it, we made sure that all the vice chairs and the chairs were all giving the same message points. It almost felt, you know, contemporary with politics. Um, when you would watch the um, a, a quick overview of politics in the news and they show you those talking heads all saying the same thing. So we were very careful to make sure that when people were inquiring what was the progress that we were messaging the same things. We're looking at what is the value of call. We're looking at making sure that there's parity for faculty effort and looking at big concepts like are you carrying a pager overnight? Are you in-house working? And also valuing education and research. So I think to manage the expectations, we made sure our message was consistent. We made sure that we didn't actively talk about it. We answered questions about it, but made it seem as though it was still a long ways off until we were very close to rolling it out. So one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to make, make sure on our three-year time frame that the distance between being near to rolling it out and actually rolling it out and talking about it was very short. So that worked well. And the other piece that we did to manage expectations was we talked to, as I mentioned, few people on very singular points. So we would approach a physician who was representing sort of the constituency of people perhaps who took OB call or people who only worked during the day and had lots of academic time for research. And we would carefully select someone in that group who was very um, respectful of the process and would be helpful. I think um, obviously when you have a large faculty or a large group, there are some physicians who are just more vocal, more complaining than others. And so it is to best manage the expectations, you wanna get the insight on changes from people who can keep the progress under wraps and be very respectful of the process. And, but you do wanna be sensitive as you hear concerns um, as you get closer to implementing, then you hear a little bit more feedback because now you're talking about the fact that it's going to start in a couple of months and we chose the new fiscal year um, so that we would be able to report not only in aggregate how we were doing but individually and I think that was another piece that we were able to message to the faculty was that it will be an increase for everyone and we will meet with you individually to show you how it plays out for you so I think helping make sure faculty understood that they would get a point-by-point -point comparison to help them a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, once you made that change to variable pay, what did you do to measure it? What did you do to make sure things were working, that they were following the path that you had set up, or what needed additional attention? Well, once we went to the variable pay model, we, out, we had outlined before we launched it the several views of each faculty person with a low, medium, and high. So each faculty member's total compensation for the prior three years had been gathered into an Excel sheet that was based on pivot tables. And we had projected out if they had taken 
almost the lowest year of call they ever took and the highest year of the variable pay. And as we moved forward quarterly, um, we looked at how it was working and made sure that we aligned the new data with what our projections were. And so we were ahead of that each month. We looked to see where physicians were going. And because it was in pivot tables and interactive, we could see if there were any outliers. And fortunately for us, because we had held increases to be very moderate in the prior three years, even though some of our projections were off by a bit, faculty were still ahead of what they would have made under the old plan. So we didn't have a lot of concerns because people were making more. They weren't zero and we were open door policy and making sure that all of the reports were interactive so that when a faculty member came with a question, we were able to meet with them within 24 hours to provide the data because everything was created as a relational database so that we could just pull it up and show the points that they were asking about. So by creating the reports to be interactive, being responsive to the questions that came up, I think was probably the single most thing that helped because no matter how outrageous a question was, we could respond within 24 hours, set a meeting with them, go over their reports individually and show them um, how this was affecting their pay and how it was different from the prior year and how it would look going forward. So you've been through the process, uh, a grueling or maybe not so grueling three years, but are there any best practices as you reflect on it that you'd suggest to other organizations if they're looking at making a, a similar move? Well, I definitely think the idea of a three-year horizon if the forces of the market environment allow that because to be able to save up for the change and to be able to thoughtfully think of we're going to start creating it we're going to have it ready to go and then implement it in three years really made a lot of sense i think having that larger time frame, really crafting the right team and making that team smaller than you might think. I think for me, because we had a new chair, the vice chairs that he selected to work with him were a little bit smaller than normally would have been because it was a bit in transition. So we didn't design it that way but my advice to anyone else is to get the people who you think you need in the room and then be selective and try to see, could you do without one or two of those to really keep the core group as small as possible? And then use the next set of people to get insight on certain aspects without having them be part of the whole process. Because I think the smaller the group, the more nimble, and the more time can be put into creating the tools along the way. And I think then the last thing would just be to think about how your faculty are moving and earning through the compensation plan 
and ensure that the tools that you're making will allow you to answer questions to compare old versus new on the various points that they might be interested in because the ability to immediately answer someone's question about why is my pay different and how does it look endeared trust right away in the new plan. So anytime there was a question, we had the ability to be responsive to that. So I think those were the really big important advice tips. Sure. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for sharing these insights on physician compensation and kind of uh, giving us a glimpse on what it's like to make a move to variable pay. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I think just in closing, compensation is one of the ways that people are valued in their organization. And on any given time, um, the majority of people don't look at their paychecks. They don't think about it because the highest performers people tend to look at pay as being just happening. It's hitting your paycheck. You don't tend to look at that every, every paycheck. But when you undertake to change the compensation plan, you stir the pot. You get all those people who are not looking at their pay now are really focused on, oh, what's going to happen to my pay? So I do think that being thoughtful about the whole process is important because your best performers and your entire physician organization thinks of themselves and are valued through that compensation and you want them to continue to feel valued and, and, and that's an important thing. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks again to Kristen Adams. If you're interested in learning more on physician compensation or hearing Kristen speak live, you can join us at MGMA's annual conference, October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. Registration is now open. For more information and to register, visit mgma.com slash big easy. Thanks again for being an MGMA Insider. I'm Daniel Williams. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, in optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.